Welcome to the Wake Forest University Department of Counseling Podcast. I'm Robert Caceres filling in today for Dr. Shannon Warden and Dr. Bob Nations. Uh, my guest today, great colleague, awesome guy, Dr. Phil Clark. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you. I would love to start today talking about your new book. This is something uh, you were on a sabbatical. You recently had a kid. You were kind of away for a bit, and then all of a sudden you come back and you've got a book. And so I don't know, to be quite honest, a lot about your book. I'd love uh, to hear what it's called and kind of uh, what inspired you to write that book. Absolutely. It was a, uh, a true labor of love, um, something I'm as proud of as anything I've done. Um, the book is called Wellness. It's, it's put out by the American Counseling Association. It's called Wellness Counseling, A Holistic Approach to Prevention and Intervention. I guess the origin came about it. Uh, we, a lot of the faculty at Wake, um, we believe it's really important for students, faculty, practitioners to, to conference, go to conferences, not only to, to learn and go to the education sessions, but also to network and develop those personal, professional relationships with others. And um, I built a relationship with my co-authors, uh, Jonathan Ort and Abigail Conley, um, through conferences and through knowing other colleagues. And it was one of those things that just years ago, I think probably at an uh, American Counseling Association conference, we said, one, one day we'll write a wellness book. Like there's no, um, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's not as much out there that should be. And we, we kind of joked about it. We said, well, we got to get a little further on in our careers. And um, the opportunity came up. Um, to, to, to write the book and, and it just all kind of, kind of fell together, but it started with informal conversations at probably an American counseling association conference. So one day we'll do that. It was kind of pie in the sky. And then, uh, we're able to make our, our, our dream happen. So it kind of happened informally and then became formal. I know a lot of people think like, Oh, writing a book would be so glamorous. Like that sounds so fun, but it's really just such a grind yes. and it takes yes. a lot of discipline. Could you tell me about kind of what your writing process was like and kind of yeah. the discipline that was required to complete that task? I love that question. Yes. Um, <clears throat> our process, what we decided is we wanted to do an authored, not an edited book. Um, and this has nothing to against edited books at all, but we wanted a as consistent, coherent voice as possible rather than kind of multiple authors just writing their own chapters. We wanted to, and, and part of what we did intentionally to capture that is we would have brainstorm meetings almost weekly. Um, how do we want to approach this book? What do we want the tone to sound like? And from there, we decided um, what was what we felt not was missing in the field, but what we needed more of were um, really concrete examples of what wellness counseling looks like in action. And um, so we talked about ways we wanted to do that, how we wanted the the book to be in for, um, um, to be literature based, um, but also not to be. Um, overly academic sounding um, because we wanted to really apply to both practitioners and scholars. And we wanted to paint the picture of how would I know if I'm doing wellness counseling? Um, because there's a lot of what we do as counselors are naturally related to wellness. So we wanted to make it clear what are some principles and guidelines that will let you know you're adhering to a wellness counseling approach. How can you work intentionally within different domains of wellness and holistically? Um, and so again, yeah, a, a lot of that came out of brainstorming. Um, and we also, we didn't, we didn't create our own model of wellness or a research-based model of wellness per se, but we, through many conversations and through a lot of review of the literature, we, we try to determine what do we think the primary domains of wellness are, what will be most practically feasible for counselors. Um, you know, so we, we kind of came up with 
our own literature-based um, model of wellness too. So those evolved over lots of different discussions. Um, so then we'd talk, we'd have these brainstorm meetings, and then we'd go into the lab, so to speak, and we'd each individually write. And the other thing we did, which I think is somewhat rare, is we would write on each other's chapters. So I would, you know, we said, you know, full transparency, be as critical as you want, add what you want, take away what you think you should. So I'd write a chapter, say, on connection wellness or social wellness, and then I would send it to Jonathan or Abigail and say, could you please add to this or what do you think about this? And so we each had a voice in everyone. Even if you had your own chapter, it wasn't your own. It was it was a collective kind of writing process. So we each have, um, you know, obviously wrote a good ch- um, chunk of our own chapters, but we each had our hand in everybody's chapter. So it's a truly co-authored piece, and I hope that comes through in the voice. Um, yeah, I hope that comes through in the book. One of the things you said about the voice and the tone and the style of your book is that you want it to be both academic and accessible. And that's always kind of like the hope for this podcast. You know, there are a lot of different types of listeners to the podcast. You have those contemplating becoming a clinical counselor or Mm -hmm. a school counselor, those who are already in the field and uh, those who might be counselor educators. For kind of like that wide spectrum of listeners, what would you say are kind of like the one or two fundamental considerations related to wellness counseling that you really wanted to emphasize and highlight, especially in the chapters that you wrote in this book? Absolutely. Um, I would say one of the things we want to highlight or that we tried to highlight in the book were to, I mean, it's kind of an obvious thing, but to conceptualize and work with clients holistically rather than from a reductionist perspective. Um, And that sounds obvious, but I think a lot of it, it's easy to fall into you know, I'm just working with this person, just thinking about their emotion regulation only or this only. And so I think a lot of what we talked about is how to use um, different, you know, how to use kind of wellness models um, to kind of conceptualize and and co-construct with a client the different domains of their life, how satisfied they are with their mental well-being, social, spiritual, you know, emotion, you know, emotion-related wellness. And so um, we talk about lots of different activities you can do with clients, for example, like a wellness pie activity. So giving them a, a model of wellness, having the client define what these areas mean to them, and having them self-assess where their areas are stronger and where they're weaker or where they want to, where they believe they can grow. Um, and then also talking about how areas where they're lower in wellness may be affecting their presenting concern. So how, if you're lower in spiritual well-being, how that might be affecting your depression or your anxiety. Um, conversely, wh- what your stronger areas are and how those keep you bolstered from stress and struggle in life. And then how you can mobilize those stronger areas to address weaker areas. So if you're stronger in meaning and purpose or have a strong faith community, how can you use that to address your uh, uh, depression, anxiety, substance use. So, um, kind of working from the inside out, outside in, but, um, again, kind of using wellness models to provide psychoeducation, to help the client and counselor kind of understand that there's multiple parts of self, um, to mobilize their stronger areas, to help weaker areas, and then to help the client understand, um, where maybe areas of low wellness may be factoring into some of their struggles. And so a lot of times folks don't realize that, Oh, um, I just thought my depression was related to, um, you know, uh, maybe a spiritual vacuum or being disconnected with my faith community. But then they also might realize, boy, there's also, I feel there's a lack of mental stimulation in my life. Um, I also feel like, man, I haven't been really exercising. I haven't. And a lot of times clients won't realize that unless 
you know, the counselor can sit with them and, co- and, and again, it's not that the counselor has the knowledge, but it's just um, more so the client is the expert on him or herself, but the counselor can present a new way of looking at things and then the client may, it just kind of sets off light bulbs. So, oh, I didn't think about these different aspects of what make me well or less well. Yeah, that resonates so much with my clinical experience. I'm not a big like handout guy or activity guy, uh, but there is one handout that I use a bunch and it kind of, as you said, classifies the domains of wellness and then presents um, like descriptions of, you know, what's a small thing you can do this week that could help you to expand or enhance that domain of your life and then anticipating what might be an obstacle that would prevent you from, you know, achieving that small but actionable goal. And I found with clients that, yeah, just even conceptualizing that there are those various domains that might find an integrated expression in someone's life and yet become very compartmentalized. And so, like you said, someone might think like, oh, there's a spiritual vacuum where I hear clients say like, you know, I hate my job. And like that becomes like the narrative or that's like the overarching focus without necessarily an awareness of the other areas and domains of their life that have perhaps been neglected. And so, you know, when you're attending to like, you know, spirituality and religion or, you know, the social nature of our lives or that almost like that breeds a sense of resiliency so that even if your job isn't changing, you go into that job feeling more uh, energized and, you know, nourished because those other domains of your life have also gotten that attention that it's not you're just relegated to like, I'm a worker. Yes, It's yes. like, oh, I'm a friend. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. Yeah. You know, I'm a member of this congregation and, and like that kind of really enhances a person's life. That's spot on. Um, and I would say, uh, so I don't know, is, are, are we speaking formally? Should I call you Dr. Kassar? Are you, oh, no. you get, better call me Phil on this podcast for sure. Should I call uh, just, Robert or just Dr. Kassar? Just Rob. Yeah. Okay, just Rob. I, I, I dig it. Um, yeah, and wellness counseling, it's a, it's a versatile approach too, right? Because sometimes clients get mandated or required to come to counseling and they may not perceive that the issue that they were mandated to come to counseling for is the main issue. So then the wellness pie or looking at multiple domains allows you to ask the client, um, well, where is the main issue? Because you know they might be required for substance use or some other reason their employee assistance program, their boss or their work requires them to go to counseling for whatever reason. Well, oh, my boss, she thinks that my issue, I'm drinking too, you know, and required me to come to counseling with you. Um, and you could say, well, let's process that. And then if you lay out that model of wellness, you say, well, um, we all, you know, you know, we talk about a wellness pie, and but we know just, you know, people are not like pies, like the, the slices are not cut evenly. And so we all have stronger and weaker areas. So what do you believe um, uh, are, are the areas where maybe you're a little bit weaker than others? So, so you can get to the client's experience of what the real problem is, and then you can come in the side door and then say, well, I wonder how, if at all, maybe your substance use does does factor in. But see, I'm I'm not imposing on the client. I'm just asking from an inquisitive perspective, and I can be client centered because I can ask him or her, what is the real concern? What 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 area of wellness or areas of wellness mean the most to you? Um, the other thing that you really spoke to well, Rob, is um, the idea of interrelatedness or interconnectedness. It's a really beautiful thing with wellness counseling because you can work on just one domain. But I, you know, with my clients would provide psychoeducation on any small increase in one area begets a cascade of or a trickle up effect in other areas of well-being. And so week to week, now you have a motivational component of wellness counseling, not motivational interviewing per se, but a motivational piece where you might just be working on emotion regulation. But now I can work with full intentionality 
um, and ask the client, now that we've been working on these emotion regulation skills or stress management skills, what positive effects are you seeing in these other domains? And that can really increase the client's motivation. So motivation is a big issue. P- folks can get really easily, and I can think of my own life, you can get really easily discouraged if you don't see tangible progress in a goal. But when you can intentionally ask the client, so now that you've been working on emotional regulation, what other um, ways do you feel like your life's maybe, some of these areas might be increasing? Well, I feel like I'm less irritable with my partner, and so we've been getting on a little bit better. Oh, interesting. What, what's that been like for you to get on better with your partner, and how's that, how's that affected you? Well, I've just been in a better mood. Oh, yeah, so that's fed back to your emotional You know, it's, it sounds like you work on the emotional wellness. It helps your social or connected wellness, and that's had benefits. Yeah, and I, being in a better mood, I have a little more energy, so I went uh, for a walk twice a week this week. Wow, you know, how, how's this working? So now you're creating positive momentum in the counseling. And part of the issue is sometimes clients just don't come back because they're discouraged and that's understandable. But wellness counseling has a motivational piece through that concept of interconnectedness and interrelatedness of these different wellness domains. And by processing progress from session to session across these domains, in other words, holistically, that can really be motivating, um, uh, be a positive force in the client's life. So you spoke a lot about kind of uh, the clinical approaches and kind of, you know, technique or perhaps theory that might guide your work. But another thing that really just shines through in hearing you talk about this is your passion and your enthusiasm and your just genuine curiosity. And uh, I was immediately taken back to the first time I met you, which was interviewing for this job. And, you know, we had like a great casual dinner and, you know, you asked me so many great questions about myself. And that's just something that seems like so true to who you are. It's just like a genuinely curious, enthusiastic guy. So dispositionally, how have those skills or those qualities that you possess served you well as a counselor? If For those of you out there, whether you're considering a counseling program, whether you're an uh, experienced clinician, you know, uh, I know I'm probably just preaching to the choir, um, but I know for me, I don't feel like I'm in, interested or skilled in a ton of things, but boy, am I interested and I've worked hard and passionate about listening to stories of others and just trying to come alongside individuals in counseling, um, my clients and, um, and my students, and just to be as helpful as I can. Um, and re- I really appreciate you saying that. I think um, for me, it's just a, it's a part of who I am. But then getting an education and, and, and continuing education in counseling is just kind of honing and fine-tuning those skills so that I can be as intentional as I can. And that's why I love being in this field, because you're never cooked, so to speak. Like, you're never... Beware of the counselor who... Uh, seems to portray that they know it all um, because that's oftentimes not necessarily the case. So um, being humble, being curious, um, that alone can be a really therapeutic factor in counseling. And it's kind of a natural part of who I am um, just through being an educator and getting training and still going to trainings and trying to learn more and more myself. Um, it's just about honing and fine-tuning my listening ear. Um, um, just trying, to, Yeah, just trying to be informed and take that passion and channel it kind of in an informed way. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I can't think of a better, more rewarding field to be in, um, to be in counselor education, to train and to, to help other people. And I firmly believe, uh, I think I'm a strong counselor, but I think I'm probably even a better educator. And I believe that my students in the class are going to be better counselors or future educators than I would be, but I think I could be a good vessel um, towards doing that. So I love what I do. I love helping both undergraduate and graduate level students kind of meet their full potential. Um, 
regardless of the route that brought them brought them to counseling. I, I believe that the, the student sitting in front of me can be a much better counselor than I, uh, but I believe I can really help them get where they want to go. You said that humility is an essential component of being an effective counselor and certainly counselor educator. And one of the responsibilities and roles that we have as professionals are modeling for our students. And I love that you just model that humility and saying that your students perhaps possess a potential to be a greater counselor than you, you know, are. How have you tried to model wellness for your students or how have your students modeled wellness for you? I think the wonderful thing about writing a wellness counseling book and, um, you know, teaching wellness counseling, incorporating it with clients is it really forces you to hold up the mirror and make sure like, am I just preaching or am I really practicing these things? And I think the humbling thing is uh, realizing that it's really tough to maintain uh, wellness. And so it always gives you that perspective on what your clients are struggling with. Um, and the idea that we talked about with the wellness pie that you just, I can't be perfect. Um uh, and so I think part of wellness is just attending to different areas as much as you can. Um, and you know, I try to do that as, uh, I, I try to do that as much as possible. You brought up, uh, I do, I have a one-year-old and, um, so that introduced a, a life transition. And so, um, we were finishing up the book as my son was born, but then also just, even though we finished the book, it was still very salient to me. And then thinking of, wow, now I have a new transition, a beautiful one, but also one that <laughs> brings challenges to how can I attend to these different things? Like I love to exercise and run and play music. Um, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a drummer. Uh, love to just, I, I run, uh, I, I'm kind of competitive with it. So I try to force myself to just not even time myself and just go run. Um, so I'm kind of a bliss runner now. I just run uh, uh, for pleasure, even though I do have a competitive um, edge. I try to kind of avoid that because I, I just want to enjoy the running. But having a one-year-old trying to make time to run, trying to make time to play music and listen to music has been a real challenge. And so it gives you respect for wellness. Jane Myers is really, I, I should have mentioned her name earlier. She is my hero in counseling and she's the founding mother of this field. She and her husband, Tom Sweeney. Um, and Jane Myers passed away um, a few years ago, but she's the one who inspired me um, to pursue my wellness in my own life. I took a wellness class from her as a master's student. And she, and I wrote about in the book in the acknowledgments, she is the, all this is her. It's all her. Um, this is all stuff she's done. We just wanted to put it in our own voice and add some new things in the book. And I know I'm kind of getting on a, on a tangent now, but I think the personal and professional kind of do bleed across each other. Um, and so I guess back to the original, how do I try to model wellness and maintain wellness is, especially with a one-year-old, um, I try to just do the best I can and then give myself grace when I can't be perfect. And I think that's part of the therapeutic process a lot of times with clients and what I try to teach students to incorporate with their clients. So now I might not be able to run as often, but is there... Um, you know, a minimum number of days, if I can just get out, you know, I might be less amount of time, might be less frequency, but can I still do it? Um, it's taught me to problem solve. So whenever I'm home, even if I'm working, I always have my running clothes on in case my wife says, oh, I'll watch a little guy for a while, then I'm out the door. And I try to get my runs where I can get them. I try to play drums with my son. Um, I try to do, you know, so a lot of well-being for me and uh, when you're working with clients is about creative problem solving, doing your best, but not beating yourself up. 
Um, and again, a lot of that I, I learned from from really the founding person uh, in terms of wellness, who's Jane Myers. If you haven't read her work and Tom Sweeney's work, you got to check it out. That's where wellness and counseling, not wellness as a whole field, because it's in the health fields as well, but wellness and counseling, you got to check out Jane Myers' work, Will of Wellness, Indivisible Self Model, and she has a wellness counseling book. Um, and so our wellness counseling book is almost like an update or a new ver. It's it's a separate book, but. Um, there just hadn't been much in the literature since she had put out her wellness book. So um, if you want to learn about this field, you got to check out Jane Myers and Tom Sweeney. Could you also speak about how you've seen wellness kind of exhibited in the culture of our department? Oh, yes. So a lot of wellness is about boundary setting, um, is about uh, saying yes to certain things, but not maybe saying yes to too many things. Um, it's about, you know, not always having your phone on and answering emails and not, these are just kind of micro examples. But in our department, what you'll see is um, folks have really clear and to my perception, healthy boundaries around work. Everybody's here and they work hard and they work in a very collegial manner. So one, the environment is conducive to wellness. Um, You have great colleagues such as yourself. We'll talk, we'll ask each other about non-work things We'll also work hard while we're in the office, but then once five o'clock or whatever that time hits, everybody said, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. And it's not people work until 10 p.m. stressed out. And so I believe our department models wellness in a very supreme way um, because wellness, I think it's important that you can see things that are observable and you can observably see in our department that everyone works hard, but they're kind and supportive of each other and they have boundaries where they're not working constantly. So um, I think that's very valuable as as a faculty member here to see my colleagues. So I, I don't feel like I'm not doing something that I should be. Um, and I think it's really powerful for the students because we want to model for you work hard, but also have a life. <laughs>